This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. I've got some breaking news for you, which is always fun when you're on radio and it happens right as it's coming in. Um, Donald Trump, according to senior aide, I believe it's Kellyanne Conway, but Donald Trump has said that he will not pursue the criminal case against Hillary Clinton, that that is going to be off the table now. Ooh, some of you are probably a little annoyed about this. Others of you will think it's a good idea. I think we should spend some time together talking about the pros and cons of doing this. Or I should say really not doing this, meaning deciding to not continue the prosecution against Hillary Clinton. I was a very early and vocal, um, not just critic of this whole thing, But I was telling everybody who would listen, I would go on CNN where I was a contributor. I would say, look, uh, I had a TS clearance. I I know the laws about this stuff pretty darn well. And there's no way what Hillary Clinton did in any way, shape or form would just be sort of let go. If we were talking about somebody who wasn't a Clinton, there's just no way wouldn't happen. And of course, early on, they're saying, oh, that's just conjecture from you, sir. You don't really know. And. There's no classified. Okay, there is classified. Well, it wasn't marked classified. Actually, it was marked classified. Oh, she didn't know about it. Actually, she did know. Oh, you get dizzy with all the lies. I feel like that's actually a Clinton strategy, right? If they throw enough lies at you, it's sort of like being in the batting cage and just everything. You've got a few of them firing at you at once and you can't handle it. Uh, I haven't been in a batting cage in a while. It used to be kind of fun. So Trump is saying he won't go after Hillary. A couple of things about this. On the... I like, let's start with the why this might upset some people. The first thing is that Trump was talking a lot during the campaign, as I think he should have, about how what Hillary did was very illegal, very wrong, and how there would be accountability, how if you voted for Donald Trump, he would actually try to find some way, he would find some means of holding her accountable through the law. And we knew that there was all kinds of funky stuff going on. Not funky like dance party, but funky like, hmm, that's not right. Uh, The head of the FBI went ahead of the Department of Justice. They make the decision about prosecuting or not prosecuting. The head of the FBI went ahead and said that 
no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. Shouldn't we have heard from the prosecutor? In this case, it would have been from Loretta Lynch or one of her top officials, one of those who works for her at the DOJ. But no, it was Comey who went out. After Loretta Lynch had sat on that plane on the tarmac with Bill to talk about her, you know, talk about the future of stuff. And they sat down, they had this discussion. It all looked so bad, it looked terrible. Meanwhile, Trump is chanting, lock her up. His supporters are chanting, lock her up. This became one of the sort of rallying cries of the campaign. Lock her up. Could they? If you had appointed a special prosecutor, is it likely, is it possible? Well, is it possible first? How about that? And then is it likely that there could be criminal charges brought against Hillary Clinton for what she did? A direct and clear reading of the statute would be yes. Now, what would the guidelines say about this sort of thing? She'd probably take a plea deal. I think it's unlikely, even if she were a non-Clinton, that she would go to jail, probably pay a large fine, have a number of years of um, uh, number of years of probation, and never hold the clearance for the rest of her life. And if she were also a non-political person, meaning if she just worked for an intel agency or a military uh, branch of the military, she would be fired. But that's probably what would happen. But Trump and his supporters were chanting, lock her up. At least the implication there is, well, there should be a full-fledged investigation absent the sort of politics that bails the Clintons out time and again, whether it's Bill or now Hillary. Some could argue that this was a promise that was made. This is on the negative side. And I think that there are going to be those in the Trump camp or those who supported Trump all along who see this and say to themselves, is this the beginning of the waffling, the wavering, the undulating with the political winds? Is is this going to be a moment in time when all of a sudden we realize, oh, Trump was saying that stuff to get elected, but he didn't really mean it? Is this a broken promise? I don't think we should go that far. But I don't know. And everyone's entitled their opinion on this one. But on the negative side of things, you have that. One seems to be sort of a broken promise from Trump. And then also justice. Hillary did things that are in clear violation of federal statute. Those of you listening who have had a security clearance or have a security clearance worked in the national security side of things, whether military, intel, or any of the jobs where you'd have to have a clearance. You know how crazy those rules are, how strict they are. And you probably think to yourself, no, she should just be held accountable. Rule of law is rule of law. Rule of law doesn't mean exceptions for people based upon how important they are to one political party or another, how connected they are, how much strife it will cause within our political discussions if they're actually held to account with the law. So you probably think that a special prosecutor appointed by Donald Trump would be a good idea if you take that position. Now let's look at the other side of it for a moment. Because this is pretty big. Because this means now that the Clintons are going to be able to sort of go off into the sunset. Uh, We'll see what the donations are like to the Clinton Foundation. I have a feeling that they're going to be plummeting dramatically over the next year or two. I also think that the speeches that Bill and Hillary will give 
will be at quite a discounted rate. They'll be uh, rock-bottom prices compared to what they were before, which will prove all of us who were saying that Hillary wasn't selling a speech, she wasn't selling wisdom, she wasn't even selling, or and, and Bill, too, that they weren't uh, selling the sort of gravitas that they give an organization. They were selling access, or at least the appearance of access, which is just as bad. Meaning the people buying it thought that's what they were buying. All right? You can't take money, you can't be a politician and take money from somebody and say, yeah, I'll make sure we pass that bill you want me to pass. Don't worry about it, I've got it covered. And then if the FBI is running a sting and you've taken that paper bag full of cash, you don't get to say, well, I wasn't really going to vote that way. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Come on. It's not how it works. So the Clintons get to continue on. I, I think that their brand is, their political brand is forever damaged by all of this. I don't think you can expect there'll be a Clinton dynasty that sort of continues on after this whole, remember, this is the second time Hillary's been the inevitable candidate. This is the second time the Clintons have had all of the media, all the machinery behind them. They couldn't get it done either time. I mean, you know, to borrow from W, fool me once, can't get fooled again. Can't get fooled again. So now let's look at the, this is a good idea for Trump's side of the issue. And I will tell you, up for, uh, to be upfront about it, I, I think it is. And I, and I know some of you, oh, I'm going to get some emails. I'm going to get some, uh, some Facebook messages from current or former military or intel. Some of my intel brothers inside Langley and other places. They're going to be mad at me for this one. I understand that. But let me make my case about why I think this is the right move for Trump. As long as you're okay with Trump kind of breaking his word on this one. Lock her up was just theatrics, I guess. Okay. It was just theatrics. Or maybe you just take the position that he looked at the facts and he's changing his mind based on the circumstances of today. That's usually what politicians do, by the way, when they want to change their mind about something. They go out and they tell you, you know, well, things are different now. Are they different because they are, because the politician wants them to be? Leave that to you. So by Trump not pursuing this, you have one, the possibility of unity. Do you buy that? Given that the Democrats are hellbent, it seems, on creating the perception that Trump is the sort of modern reincarnation of the either the KKK or the neo-Nazis or the, I, the alt-right neo-Nazi KKK consortium, whatever it is, they seem to be under the impression that they can convince, if they just keep hammering this, they will convince Americans that that's who Donald Trump is, and so they stay on this. Which makes it seem like unity is kind of a tough thing to pull off, right? It's one thing when you disagree on the top marginal tax rate. It's one thing when you disagree with how to handle ballooning entitlement spending because of the uh, baby boomers. and you, know, you can disagree on that and still sit down and be friends at the end of the day. And I, I hope that that's where we actually get in our politics. It's a whole nother situation, though, when one side is just pointing a finger at the other side and saying, you support somebody who's morally the equivalent of a KKK member, maybe not actually in the KKK, but somebody who's really, really bad. It's tough to sit down with them and say, yeah, let's have a, let's have a civil discussion about all of this. But unity... If you're looking at reasons for why Trump would decide not to pursue charges, and this is just breaking now, 
not to pursue charges against Hillary Clinton for what she did with her email. Oh, by the way, I believe also that means for what she did at the Clinton Foundation. That one's tough to take, too. Because the legacy of the Clintons, really, more than anything else, is going to be the creation of a vast international enterprise under the guise of a charity that was really using charity as a front for creating a tremendous amount of political clout and brand value and cronies getting all sorts of payoffs and money and paying salaries and building an enterprise that is really a for-profit under the guise of a non-profit, a for-profit for the Clintons. The end goal of which was not just to make them rich, but also to make Hillary Clinton the president. So that's gone too. But okay, unity, that's one reason. Then there's another one, but this is sort of a contingent reason, right? So on the one hand, we've got, this is bad. Trump is breaking his word. Trump is also not pursuing justice. You can take that position by not going after Hillary with the special prosecutor in, uh, during his presidency. I guess we could also, by the way, just throw this out there just to make things really crazy. Uh, Trump could also change his mind on this. <laughs> he could, we, we, in a couple of months, he could be like, yeah, you know, I've decided actually she's pretty bad. We're going to go for it. All right, but let's just assume that he's going to keep his word on this one or he's, this, this report is true. Then there's the possibility of just the Machiavellian side of this. Trump looks a bit magnanimous in the process, right? Maybe some people, there'll be some goodwill created here. Maybe it's a distraction for the Trump administration that actually realizes that they have a wide open field to do incredible things for this country. Got a Republican House, a Republican Senate, tons of Republican governorships, Republican state houses, wide open. He's made these promises. The people have spoken. We have voted. People want some of the stuff that Trump has said he would do to actually happen. Maybe he realizes that's much more important to many of us, to most of us, than settling a score with Hillary Clinton. And so by doing this, he looks sort of magnanimous in the process. And he looks like he's being gracious, gracious to the other side. Do I think he'll be rewarded by the other side for this graciousness? No, no, I, I do not. I think that would be a naive point of view to take on it. But for those of fair mind, for those of open mind, for those who are willing to at least judge Donald Trump based on what he does now as president. I'd have to say that moving beyond the prosecution of Hillary Clinton, again, this sort of ties in for the purposes of unity, but it makes Trump look good. It'll make him look good. There's one more thing I just want to throw in there. He says he's not going to prosecute her, or he's not, I should say, continue the investigation. But if he appointed a special prosecutor, I mean, over 100 classified emails, I mean, this is not hard. They wanted to go after her. They gave her a special pass, created this, well, she didn't mean to, exception to a federal statute for which when you talk about the handling of classified information, there is no special oopsies, oopsies loophole. The other side of this is, what if he decides that he's going to pardon her? Now, sort of like a political endorsement that you didn't ask for, a pardon sticks to you no matter what. Hillary could say, well, I didn't want this pardon. Doesn't matter. He can say he's not going to investigate her, but just to be a super duper nice guy, he pardons Hillary Clinton for the email situation. Maybe just that, so that if people want to dig up some other stuff from the past, that's on them. But he pardons her for the email situation. Now you have 
the would-be standard bearer, or the former standard bearer and would-be president of the Democratic Party with a pardon for criminal activity on her record. Trump looks magnanimous in the process. Trump looks like he's trying to achieve unity. And anytime somebody brings up Hillary and the popular vote or Hillary and the left, they'll be like, Hillary's lucky that she's not walking around in an orange jumpsuit because did you hear about the pardon? A little Machiavellian. Anything that could stop Trump from doing this? Not that I'm aware of. Anything that makes me think Trump might do this? Yeah, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Going to a break. We'll be right back. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This. This. Is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine. And they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn Beck today. You can download my daily podcast on Blaze Radio at theblaze.com slash buck sexton. On every day, 12 to 3 Eastern, uh, please do check it out. Do a show every day here for the Blaze Radio. Uh, also, I uh, wanted to talk to you for a moment, if I can, about Trump's YouTube video, which is out talking about his first 100 days. What's he going to do? Let's stop talking about all the mudslinging and the nastiness of the media for a second. Well, he says he's going to do a few things. Uh, for example, he's going to ban government officials from becoming lobbyists under certain circumstances. Play clip seven, please. On ethics reform, as part of our plan to drain the swamp, we will impose a five-year ban on executive officials becoming lobbyists after they leave the administration and a lifetime ban on executive officials lobbying on behalf of a foreign government. So there you have it. Going to actually make it harder to become part of this revolving door system in D.C. where you work for government and then you make money from your work in government by lobbying people in government. Uh, he also talked about Trans-Pacific Partnership, a big issue for him on the, on the campaign trail. Play clip eight, please. On trade, I am going to issue our notification of intent to withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a potential disaster for our country. Instead, we will negotiate fair bilateral trade deals that bring jobs and industry back onto American shores. So Trump says TPP, 
It's going to be no more if he has his way. And then perhaps the one that I think might have among the most immediate of all impacts from these sorts of measures on energy and regulations. Clip nine. Make it happen. On energy. I will cancel job killing restrictions on the production of American energy, including shale energy and clean coal, creating many millions of high paying jobs. That's what we want. That's what we've been waiting for. On regulation, I will formulate a rule which says that for every one new regulation, two old regulations must be eliminated. I like it. You want to cut back regulations? You say, if you want to put in one, you got to get rid of two, right? Uh, So it's a plan that I think if he puts into action, we'd see a lot of benefits from pretty quickly. By the way, Keystone XL, he can just be like, what's up, Keystone XL? You're now good to go. All sorts of interesting stuff that the Trump is saying he's going to do. I just called him the Trump. Um, Maybe I'll stay with that. The Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. Thank you so much for being with me. Uh, you can follow me on facebook.com slash Buck Sexton and send me your thoughts about today's show there. We are joined by author Richard Weikert. He is author of the new book, Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. Richard, thank you very much for giving us a ring. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, uh, so there's this debate that's been raging back and forth for a long time, as you point out in your book, Richard. Was Hitler Christian in his mind? Was he an atheist? Was he some combination? What did you find in your book? Well, yeah, there's, uh, in fact, there's also another one. There's the fact that some people think Hitler was an occultist, too. So there's sort of these three sort of main ideas that sort of floating around, especially in a lot of Internet sites and, and such. Uh, and what I found is I investigated this in, in great depth, and I mean, I, I studied uh, not only Hitler's own writings and his speeches, where, of course, you can't always trust what he's having to say, which is one of the big problems with this debate, because some people will just take certain things, they'll sn- snatch certain things out of Hitler's public speeches and say, well, Hitler believed it. After all, he said it, you know, as though he never would lie about something that important or something like that, you know. Uh, but uh, what I found is I examined his testimony from the uh, associates that were around him, his secretaries, uh, Goebbels' diaries, Rosenberg's diaries, uh, the table talks that Hitler gave in private uh, at his bunker in the last few years of his life, it became very apparent that he was very anti-Christian in his outlook, that he, in his private uh, religious views, although publicly he sort of tried to uh, portray the image so that he didn't... Uh, uh, offend people's sensibilities. He was very anti-Christian, so he wasn't a Christian, that's very clear. Uh, he also wasn't an atheist, which some people think, well, if he wasn't a Christian, maybe he was an atheist. No, he actually wasn't an atheist either. He didn't believe in some kind of high power, higher being, and even in private, he seems to maintain that particular perspective. Uh, and he wasn't in the occult either. In fact, uh, he there were some people around Hitler who were uh, into astrology, such as uh, Rudolf Hess, 
and Heinrich Himmler, and they were into some kinds of occult kinds of things. So there were some high-ranking Nazis that were dabbling in the occult, uh, but Hitler actually spoke negatively about that behind their backs uh, and actually criticized them for that. Uh, and in fact, in one point, he even had uh, astrologers arrested and thrown into concentration camps. Uh, so he wasn't involved in the occult either. He was actually more of a, a he was more into science than he was into the occult. But what he did actually uh, believe was that nature was God. So he believed there's some kind of God, but it's just sort of this vague nature is God. Everything in the cosmos is God. And this position is generally known as pantheism. So I identify him as a pantheist. And didn't Darwinism factor into some of his thinking as well? There was sort of, a, you, you mentioned that nature rules all. He had a, his own view of how nature would play out and what that would mean for, well, for the Third Reich. Oh, yes, exactly. And in fact, I have an entire chapter on uh, was Hitler a creationist in this book, because I've been uh, criticized from some of my earlier writings. In some of my earlier books, I've uh, made the connections between evolutionary ethics and Darwinian ethics and Nazism. And uh, some people, in fact, one of my Amazon comma reviews uh, that someone wrote in, in, on one of my earlier books said Hitler was a creationist. You know, he wasn't a Darwinist and such. In fact, there's a University of Chicago history professor who wrote a book called Was Hitler a Darwinian? He was actually responding to my earlier books. Uh, and he said, no, Hitler wasn't a Darwinian. <laughs> but if you read Mein Kampf, very, and especially if you read Hitler's second book, which was never published, it's actually just referred to as Hitler's second book, uh, it's Darwinian through and through. I mean, it's laced with Darwinism. And so in the chapter that I said, was Hitler a creationist? No, he was not a creationist. Wait, wait, so uh, so people, wait, wait, Richard, people haven't even heard of this, haven't even heard of this second book that you're mentioning. What does it, uh, what does it describe? What does it go into? Well, actually, uh, yeah, his, his second book uh, was unpublished during his lifetime. I'm not sure exactly why, although there's speculation that some of the foreign policy things that he put in there, he decided uh, he wasn't quite sure about, and so he didn't uh, publish it. But actually, the very first chapter of this, uh, his second book uh, is entitled The Struggle for Life, which is, by the way, the exact same word that's in the title of The Origin of Species, Darwin's Origin of Species, the words, the, or then Struggle for Life. So a struggle for life is a synonym for struggle for existence. And it was used quite frequently that way, and Hitler used it that way. And Hitler uses the word struggle for life and struggle for existence quite frequently in there. In fact, the very beginning couple of pages of that uh, first chapter on the struggle for life talks about how the population is expanding faster than the food supply, which is exactly what Darwinian struggle for existence was teaching. And then he says, because of that, biolog biological organisms, including humans, uh, are struggling for existence, and the stronger will prevail and the weaker will die out. And he saw that happening in sort of a, in a racial context. So he thought there was a racial struggle for existence going on. And the Aryans, he thought, of course, were the most highly evolved of the human races, and so that they were winning out in the struggle for existence, and that was what was made them the master race. So, Richard, there, there was also a, a sort of Malthus aspect to his thinking. He believed that there was, they were running out of food and that the population was growing too rapidly for mankind to sort of sustain itself? Exactly, and that was that was uh, Darwin had built upon Malthus's ideas, and Darwin even said that he built on Malthus's ideas, uh, this struggle, the idea of the struggle for existence. So, and this is this is uh, in, if you read Hitler's Mein Kampf too, this comes through very clearly. He talks about the fact that the population is expanding faster than the food supply, and Hitler lays out in one part of Mein Kampf where he says that there's only several solutions to that problem. Uh, one of it is what is you can restrict your birth, but he says that's not a good idea because then the species will. 
generate because you won't have enough variation to you know, drive evolution forward. The other option is you can uh, just start exporting more goods and importing more food, but he didn't like that idea either. He said the real solution is to expand your living space. And that word living space, by the way, in the German, it's the word Lebensraum. This idea of the Lebensraum or living space actually is an idea that came from a Darwinian biologist turned geographer named Friedrich Ratzel, who in the late uh, 1800s and right at the beginning of the 1900s was pushing this idea that Germans needed more living space uh, be, in order to evolve to higher levels. And so because they were su superior, allegedly, uh, to these other uh, races around them, uh, they needed to compete with those races, push them out of living space, and this is exactly what Hitler was trying to do. When you look at uh, Nazi Germany at this time, obviously it must have come up in your research, there were many members of the Nazi party who must have thought themselves both Christians in sort of good standing with the church, but also Nazis. How, how, did, how, does, that, how does that factor into the way that Hitler would try to sort of uh, be the demagogue and, and the tyrant that he was? I mean, he must have been willing to, uh, at some point, try to co-opt the church while also destroying the church. Yes, he did, and that's exactly, I think, the right way to phrase it. He did try to co-opt it while trying to destroy it. And uh, you're right, there were a lot of uh, Nazis who would have uh, considered themselves good Christians, and certainly people who voted for the Nazi party who did. And part of the reason for this is because, uh, and you know, we've seen this in our own election here that just happened uh, recently, too, there were a lot of people who were so afraid of the communists and uh, leftists that uh, they were willing to go along with someone who seemed to stand for uh, Morality, traditional, like a quote, traditional morality, yeah. and and such. So uh, they were willing to overlook some of the uh, anti-Christian elements of his uh, ideas, and also Hitler tried to camouflage those uh, the anti-Christian parts of his uh, program. Just to give you one kind of example, I really found a fascinating thing in the course of my research. Really stumbled upon it when I really didn't expect it. Uh, there was a photograph that was taken of Hitler in 1932. So this was just. Uh, uh, while he was uh, in his campaigning for uh, to come to power, he was not yet named chancellor. That was came in January of 1933. So several months earlier, there was this picture taken of him by his personal photographer uh, as he's coming out of this church in Bremerhaven. And there's this white cross that's hovering right above its head that makes him look like he sort of has a halo effect or something. And Heinrich Hoffman put the when Heinrich when Hoffman published this in 1932, he put a caption under that picture which said, "A chance event becomes a symbol." The supposed heretic Hitler coming from the church in Bremerhaven. Uh, and so what you were supposed to draw from, the conclusion you were supposed to draw from that picture was, see, Hitler's not a heretic after all. You know, look, he's coming out of church. So, the, and so it sort of implies that he went to a church service or something like that. Uh, and you have this halo, you know, this, this white cross right above his head. It's really striking. And I have these photographs, by the way, in my book, uh, Hitler's Religion, so you can see these photographs there if you get the book. But then what happened was a few years later, after Hitler was already in power, uh, they airbrushed that cross out of the photo and changed the caption. And the, the point here is that Hitler was trying to distance himself from Christianity at that point, although while he was trying to come to power, he was trying to play like he was you know, in sync with Christianity and, and had its approval. But then they airbrushed the cross out, and they also changed the caption. The new caption says, Hitler after sightseeing at the historic Maria Church in Bremerhaven. 
so making clear that he just went to see the architecture. He wasn't really going to a church service. Right. So he, he would change as as needed based upon his own sort of political uh, desires, how much he would try to either, again, going to that point of co-option or, or destruction of the church, trying to appear like he was also a man of God to some people for a while, and then, of course, pushing further away from that. I want to ask you, Richard, before we uh, before we let you go, a lot of rhetoric right now in the aftermath of the election and leading up the election about uh, sort of Hitlerian rhetoric, a lot of people talking about how there's, they're afraid of a rise of fascism. As somebody who has been diving deep into uh, just how terrifying and frightening Hitler's mindset really was and, and what he did, what do you make of this sort of thing? I mean, I, I always feel like the moment somebody starts to invoke Hitler comparisons, one, they're almost, they're, they are always wrong because there's always one Hitler yeah. and that level of evil is almost impossible yeah. to, uh, to reach any sort of equivalent. Uh, but but also it feels to me like it, it's become a go-to for the intellectually lazy. Oh, this person is like Hitler. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand it on the one hand some of the ways that people construe this, but uh, but actually I see it sort of in the opposite vein. Uh, you know, one of the things that I see most objectionable about Hitler and what he did was that he uh, basically wrote off certain elements of the human race and defined them as being non-humans or subhumans, uh, and therefore justified the killing of them. And so uh, the killing of Jews, the killing of uh, gypsies, the killing of people with disabilities, this was all justified on the basis of, you know, these people are not really up to snuff. You know, we're the superior ones, they're the inferior ones. And interestingly, I see it uh, sort of on the other party side, uh, where they're, where it's mainly the Democrats who are uh, trying to define certain in, uh, humans as non-persons, such as those that are unborn, uh, and with assisted suicide becoming more and more prevalent in our society, too, those that are you know, nearing the end of their life and those with disabilities. And so it seems to me that uh, if we want to make uh, comparisons with what was going on with Hitler, the Hitler regime, we ought to make comparisons with people who are trying to define certain humans as being non-human. Yeah, compare actual death and, and the elevation of death to other deaths, as, as it seems to be. I mean, uh, yeah, if you think see, about it, go ahead. If, you think, if you think about it, Trump is talking about deporting people who are illegal aliens. Uh, the, on the Democratic side of tickets, they're talking about killing uh, millions of unborn children uh, and allowing assisted suicide and other kinds of things that are resulting in actual death. You know, so which of these is worse? Richard, thank you very much for joining us. We've got we to leave it there. We're going to go into a break. But Richard Weikart is the author of Hitler's Religion. It is available now. You can check it out on Amazon or bookstores near you. Richard, thank you very much for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Buck Sexton and for Glenn. Back right after this break. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn. Fascinating story, and I don't have too much time to go into it, but I want to give you the broad strokes and go check it out yourself. It's from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the title is Venezuela's Nemesis is a hardware, hardware salesman at a Home Depot in Alabama. Now, as you may already know, Venezuela has the largest proven oil reserves in the world, yet it has this revolutionary socialist government that has 
done such a, a horrific job. It's so autocratic and done such a bad job of managing the economy that they've all the things you expect. They're running out of toilet paper. Or they uh, don't have the, the shelves are bare in the stores. Uh, they have rationing, uh, big black market, lots of crime, all kinds of problems. Um, this is what happens uh, as a result of statism and, and state control of, of all um, economic activity. So you've got this individual, Gustavo Diaz, Diaz, who is uh, works at Home Depot, and he has a website that tells people, that, that tracks the actual black market exchange rate of the Bolivar, which is the currency in Venezuela. And so this is how people know what things in Venezuela cost. And so you've got this revolutionary government that is in a complete freefall. It's just it's one of the examples that people point to now of how badly things can go. You've got Nicolas Maduro accusing this one individual. Again, guy's at a Home Depot just doing his thing, runs a website. The uh, president of Venezuela says that he's waging economic war. So this is a guy with a website who, when he's not stocking shelves at Home Depot, doing what he does, getting a paycheck, taking care of his family, runs this website that sets the prices for things in the black market in Venezuela, which completely upends or, or makes much more difficult Venezuela's uh, government's control of this market or efforts to control this market, because this is how people are actually buying things. It undermines this, uh, this revolutionary government. It's just a fascinating story. I really recommend you go check it out. And I want to bring it up to you because don't think for one second that one person can make a huge difference. This is just a guy with a website and he is now public enemy number one to Venezuela, which I'm sure he should be and is very proud of because that government needs to go. Um, that's going to be it for me today here on the Glenn Beck program. Uh, you can listen to my show every day, 12 to 3 on the Blaze Radio Network. Just go to theblaze.com slash buck sexton. Also follow me on Twitter if you're not already, at buck sexton. And with that, I have to uh, say goodbye to all of you and thank you very much. Buck Sexton, over and out. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.